You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. I just want to start off by saying this morning here, looking down and seeing a full house and seeing so many people here, uh, it is so encouraging. Uh, here's the reason why that when we set time aside to slow down and put Him first and to exalt Him and to remember Him, worship Him, sing to Him, pray to Him. When we do that, let me tell you this, when you do that, when I do that, He's exalted. You know, Psalms 22 talks about how He inhabits the praises of people. What that psalm means is this, is that when we come together to worship Him and sing to Him, it doesn't mean that He magically comes here. No, He's already here. But what it means is that in that moment, He's exalted. He's lifted upon high. And He delights and He enjoys that moment because His people has placed Him first. And so when I look down and I see it's the first service for Sun Life Church, it's a packed house and you're all excited to worship um, thank you. You encourage me, and I want you to know that God is smiling upon you. And it's great now that we can study His Word together. This morning, what I want to do is I want to look into Luke 15, and I'm going to look into the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and I want to learn with you the nature, the heart, the character of this God that we worship. So I'm going to read Luke 15. So if you have your Bible, turn your Bible with me to Luke 15, verses 1 to 10, just 10 verses. Let me read, and I'll give you some commentary as I read, and then I'll expound the Word of God. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. Now, the text collectors and sinners, we all know, we should know that these are the despised. These are the people that society looked down upon. All right, they're text collectors because they kind of made a living for themselves by ripping off people. And the sinners, they are drawing near to him, and the him here is Jesus. So Jesus is a rabbi, he's a respected young man, he's a teacher, and these sinners are drawing close to him. He's so attractive. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes, so these are the religious people, the teacher of the law, they're grumbling, they grumble saying, this man, this Jesus, he welcomes, he receives sinners, and he eats with them. How dare a Jewish rabbi do such a thing? So Jesus told them this parable, uh, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country? And he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8, second parable. Or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one? The context here, it could be that she was poor. She's got 10 coins, she loses one. Or some say 
the, the 10 coins were part of her wedding dress, crown, something very sentimental, okay? She loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and keep seeking diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. And verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the word of the Lord. Have you ever lost something? Have you ever lost something precious? I read during the week, I read during the week that losing your smartphone, your iPhone, has the same stress rating as being under a terrorist attack. <laughs> Don't laugh. They did, they did a research, they did a research where they surveyed 2,000 people and they asked the people to give a score, a stress level score. Zero being no stress at all, 10 being extremely very stressful. I, I want to put something on the screen. Look at this here. Terrorist attack, average 5.84. Losing your phone, 5.79. So apparently, the world we live in today, when we lose one of these babies here, it's just as bad as being surrounded by terrorists, okay? So isn't it true that depending on how we value items, right, the priority or the intensity of the search will change? Is that right? You lose $5? Yeah, it's only 5 bucks. It's a blessing for someone. Is that right? You lose a hundred bucks, oh, you better start looking, right? It's a hundred dollars. You lose your w wedding ring, your wedding band, you're not going home until you find it, right? You, you know what I mean? D depending on how important is something, it's going to determine whether you look for it. In the parables, the two parables here, Jesus is talking about something of great worth. It's so important to God. That's the reason why the ending of both parables are very similar. If you look carefully, there is rejoicing in heaven. God is rejoicing when these items are located. Go with me to verse 7 and verse 10. He says this, Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven, see that, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is this one item that upon finding it brings God such joy? You know, John Newton, the great pastor and also musician, he wrote a song that some of you would know. It's Amazing Grace. The lyrics, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Me, I once was lost, but now I am found. You know, the only thing that would bring greatest joy to God upon finding it is you and me, our salvation. Because we are His prized creation, His most wonderful masterpiece. We are created in His very own image. And so if we are lost and then we are found, you and me returning back to God, our salvation brings the greatest joy to God. And in the parables, I want to show us three things about the heart of God. 
Okay, and they are. He's a seeking God, despite our disobedience. He's a rejoicing God, right, in our deliverance. And He's a forgiving God in our repentance. So I'm going to pray and we're going to unpack those three points. Let me pray. Father, I just invite your spirit now to be our great teacher as we look and dive deeper into your word. I pray that you will teach us wonderful things about your heart, that this morning we will leave loving you even more. And for anyone who may not know you, they will take a step closer to you. Thank you that you love us, that you've given us your word. And right now, this sacred time, we get to study your word together. So would you use me, would you help me to teach your word well? Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive your word. That we are not just hearers, but we're also doers of your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, you ready to go? A seeking God. You know, in the parable, we have a hundred sheep. Is that right? Now, if you're a Christian, you would know this parable that one sheep goes missing. Now, I am no expert in sheep. I have never studied sheepology 101. I don't think that's even a word, but I think sheep and ology means the study of sheep. But I've done some research, and I can tell you a few things about sheep. And if you're a sheep expert and I've got it wrong, please forgive me. I'm just a pastor, right? Number one, they get frightened easily. All right, they say that sheep, if you come close and you just clap them, they'll run. All right, and when they run, they like to band together in large groups because it's for their protection. So not, they're not very brave animals. Number two, they're social animals. They need each other. They feel more safe when they're with other sheep. There's a sense of security. They are never alone. Okay. Number three, they follow one another. I read somewhere back in 2006 in Turkey, 400 sheep plunged to their death because the first sheep decided to cross a bridge, a narrow bridge that was 15 meters high. And that one went off, and then the second one went off, and they all followed, and 400 sheep died. True story. Well, Google tells me so. <laughs> Lastly, they're not smart. They're not smart animals. You cannot get a sheep to sit stay, roll over, you just can't do it. They won't do it, right? So in the text here, right, in the text here, we have one sheep who's lost. Like one sheep decides to wander and goes missing, and I could conclude that that wasn't a bright sheep. Yeah, like I can conclude that that sheep was disobedient, right? Like that sheep did not obey the instructions of the shepherd, it's like me telling my kids, if I've got three kids, and I said to my kids, hey, you guys stay here. I'm going to go to the checkout. I'm going to pay for your ice cream. I can see you. You can see me. I'm not being irresponsible, Dad. We can see each other. Just stay there. I'm going to pay for the ice cream. I'll come back. It'll be less than two minutes. If I come back and one of my child goes missing, there's a very good chance that that child was what? Disobedient. Yeah? Didn't pay attention. Didn't listen. Didn't follow instruction. So what we see here is we have a sheep. He thought it was better for the sheep to go wandering. And the sheep is now lost because the sheep is disobedient. But look what the text says in verse 4. Luke 15, go back there. He says, Jesus says, what man of you, he's speaking to the religious leaders. You have a hundred sheep. You lose one, 
that you do not leave the 99 in the open country. And he goes after the one lost until he finds it. You notice the text, open country. This lost sheep is in the open country, not in a backyard, not in a paddock. Because if it's in a backyard, it's very easy to find the sheep. It's in the open country, which means it's mass land, which means to find the sheep, it's going to be a lot of work, a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, a lot of seeking. It's going to be a costly act. But it's rhetorical because the shepherd would definitely go through all the suffering, all the pain to find that one lost sheep. You know, ironically, the Bible describes you and me as sheep. I'll prove it to you. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, all of us, like sheep gone astray. We've turned our own ways and we've done our own things. Every single one of us, we're like sheep. We're disobedient. But the text tells us that God is a seeking God. The text tells us that God did not leave us alone in our wilderness, in our disobedience. That God was pursuing us despite our disobedience. God did not wait for us to be obedient before He loved us. No, He was pursuing us despite our disobedience. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He loves me. He loves us more than we can ever imagine. He's a seeking God. That's why theologically, listen carefully, theologically, we can never say that we found God. No way. The sheep cannot say, well, I grew some brains and I figure out my way back home. The coin cannot say, I grew some legs and I jumped back into the woman's purse. No. God found us. That's how much He loves us. If you are far from God right now, if you feel lost right now, I want you to know that God loves you and He is seeking you. He is pursuing you because you can never find Him. He'll find you. He'll find you in your lowest point. He'll find you in your desperation because He loves you. He loves you a lot. And that's why it's all grace. That I did not find God. God found me. And the only reason why I'm a Christian today, the only reason why I'm part of this community, the only reason why I'm a pastor today is not because I was smart and I found God and I figured it all out. No, 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 no. He was seeking me. When I was disobedient, he found me in my lowest point. He loved me. He extended his hand. He reached out for me. He grabbed me when I was drowning and I was dying. I was one of the sheep at the top of that narrow bridge, falling down, plunging to my death. But he captured me in his grace. And if I know that, my life should be humble. Amen. There should be no pride in me. There's no arrogance in me. I should be generous with my time. I should be loving I love how the Apostle Paul would say this in 1 Timothy 1, 15. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, accept this one here. Jesus Christ, he came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's Paul. That's the Apostle Paul. He says, out of all the sinners, I'm the worst. I'm the most revolting of them all, but he came to save me. He came searching for me. He came and he found me. I was lost, but now I'm found because he did all the work in saving me. And that's the reason why Paul, we see his lifestyle. is a lifestyle of what? Humility, a lifestyle of love, a lifestyle of just being generous. 
There is no pride. And I believe with all my heart that when we slow down and realize that he was the seeking God who found us in our deepest and darkest and loneliest moment, it changes us. Amen. It humbles us. Amen. And that's a beautiful mark of being a follower of Jesus Christ, that we are humble. I, I can just, just sidetrack us and say this, that the one thing that I boast about this church is your humility in the Lord. I do. I really do. You know, I've, I've been to churches. I've worked with other churches. I've even done a little bit of consulting in other churches. But I can honestly say, and this is not to build you up and puff you up, okay? All right? I can honestly say that I am so blessed to be part of this church because there is such humility in this church, and I love it. And if you're not humble in this church, yeah, sooner or later you'll be found out, and you're going to, be, you're going to struggle, right? And so keep that up. Keep being humble. Keep reminding yourself that, hey, he found me. He was a searching God who found me, and that's going to kill and destroy any pride that is in us. Amen? Okay, number two, he's a rejoicing God. Now look, look within the text, in verse 5 and 6 and verse 9. So 5 and 6, and when he has found it, that's the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, and he's what? Rejoicing. Can you see that? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So there's a joy in finding this sheep. Now look at verse 9. And when she, this is the woman, has found it, that's the coin, right? She calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. You see that? God, He rejoices in our deliverance. He rejoices in our salvation, despite the cost. Listen, the cost, all right, of seeking us, all right, the cost in seeking us doesn't compare to the joy in finding us. And that's what He did. He, he didn't care the, the suffering before him because he knew that if he found us, there'd be such joy. That's why the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, he writes this down. For the joy set before Jesus, that's him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. There was a joy. And the joy was that when you and I came home, there's a celebration. Did you know, friends, did you know that when you came to Jesus, that if you've already accepted Jesus, well, did you know that when you said yes to Jesus, when you said, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin, I place my trust in you, I want you in my life, Holy Spirit, did you know that when you said that, there was a party in heaven, there was a celebration in heaven, there was fireworks. Like, better than Australia Day fireworks. There was a rejoice in heaven when you said yes to Jesus. When you placed your faith in Jesus, there is joy. But look what the text also says. Look carefully in the text. He says, he gathered his friends and his neighbors and says, rejoice with me. You see that? Don't, don't miss that. The shepherd and the woman said, come. And celebrate with me. Rejoice with me. There's this inclusiveness in the joy of God. He invites us into his joy when someone is being found. It means for you and me 
that when we are being used by God to see someone come to Him, there's an invitation to experience that joy. Listen carefully. The Christian life should be a life of joy. It should be a life of joy because God is a joyful God. But the text tells us that He invites us into that joy if we are being used to save others. Do you want to find more joy in your life this year? Do you want to be more joyful? Get involved in the salvation of others. Get involved in being missional. You want to experience the joy of God? You want God to say, come into my joy. I invite you to share in this joy. Get involved in seeking the lost and having them found. That's what the text teaches us about this joy. I know that Christians who are joyful, right, are those who are actually doing missional work. Christians who are just enduring the Christian life are not really involved in the mission of God. They come, they spectate, they come to a Sunday and they leave, and during the week there's no involvement with mission. But Christians who are being used by God, involved in the air of mission, trying to love people, trying to reach people, there's a joy. Especially when someone says yes to Jesus. Not only the joy is in heaven, but Jesus says, I welcome you into this joy. Maybe this is for someone this morning. Maybe God is using me to remind you that this year, 2023, is a year where He wants you to be more missional. To think about your lost parents, your lost children, your lost neighbor, your lost colleague, someone that God has placed in your heart already to reach. Maybe this is the year where you are intentional in reaching them. And I promise you, I guarantee you, that when they receive Jesus, not only there is a joy in heaven, but there will be a joy in your spirit. Because He welcomes you into that joy. I really believe that Christians... We find more joy when we participate in the mission of God. When we refuse to do it, then we kind of struggle in this Christianity. We might just endure and not enjoy the life that God installs for us. And so that's what we see right here. I mean, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. Will there be sacrifices? Of course there will be sacrifices. But is it worth it? Most definitely. Amen? Most definitely. You know, Jesus once said this in John 15, 11. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you know the context of chapter 15? You can read it during the week. But the context of chapter 15, right, was Jesus talking about loving one another, obeying his command, loving one another. So when we love one another, and the context of loving is not just for Christians, but for everyone, right? Like we're not just to love each other because we're Christian. No, no, we are to love each other because we're all made in the image of God, right? We are to love our friends who are non-believers. We are to love our friends who are believers. We are to love everyone, right? And so when, what Jesus is saying right here is that when you abide in Him and you begin to love one another, 
when you think of people who are far from Him and you want them to be found in Him, you're loving them and you're gracing upon them and you're spending time with them. That's the joy of God in us. That our joy will then be completed when we're thinking about others, when we're on mission, reaching people. The shepherd and the woman says, friends, neighbors, come and share in my joy. God is inviting us to share in his joy in the areas of mission. That's why David, you know, when you go there, I'm very sure that no matter how hard it is and how tough it's going to be, there's a joy, right? There's a joy. And all the YWAMers and all the missionaries here, you can agree with me because I, I, I understand. When you're out there reaching people, being missional, not just bums on seat and coming and then going and just the odd here and there. No, but really intentional with reaching people and loving people. God says, share in this joy. Amen. And I pray that's for someone this morning that this year you would do that and this year will be a different year where you experience more joy. Amen. Lastly, he's a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. Look, look at the conclusion of both parables. Look in verse 7 and verse 10. He says, I tell you, right, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's the first parable. The second parable, just so I tell you, there is joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. Can you see the connection? Can you see it? There's a connection between what? Joy and repentance. Can you see it? When people repent, right, there is a celebration in heaven. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is the Greek word, I think, metanoia, which simply means to change your heart, to change your mind, all right? So in other words, you only repent when you realize that what you're doing is wrong, all right? And you're not going to know what you're doing is wrong unless you're grounded in the Word of God, all right? So there's a few things that you must need to understand. If you want to repent more, you've got to be grounded in the Word of God more because God reveals to you His standards or be around people who will help you see what is right and what is wrong. But anyhow, repentance is when you realize that your action is not honoring to God, it's not pleasing to God, and you go, geez, I don't want to be like that. I need to change. I need to change my heart. I need to change my mind. God, will you help me change? That's repentance. All right? But what, what's happened over the years is that we kind of stopped repentance there. We've kind of teach being, that's repentance, just wanting to change. But there's more to that. Right? There's another section to that. It's actually confession. All right? That we need to actually uh, admit it and tell it to someone else. So to really repent properly, right, you need to know it's wrong. And you need to find someone else to share it with. I'll prove it to you. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, you cannot be a Christian if you're not in community. Here's the reason why. You've got no one to share your struggles with. You can't. Yeah. I had a conversation with someone just recently, two weeks ago. And that person said to me, I, I, I don't want to go to church anymore. I was hurt in church. And I asked the person, um, but what happened? You went to Bible college and you were quite involved and you finished your studies and you were so involved and I remember seeing you so committed. What happened? Oh, this and that. And uh, you know, my, 
my journey now is that I just want to be alone and God and I, we are close. And I kind of stopped it there. I didn't want to probe and discuss further. But I can say right now that you cannot be a Christian if you do it solo. You can't. You need to be in community. Why? Because the text says that if you have done something wrong and you need to repent, you need to confess it with another person. And you want to confess it with someone who is mature in the Lord. Yeah? You don't want to confess it with the guy that you met down the bar. It's not a smart idea. Don't do that, please. Or someone online. Don't do that. Find a pastor, a mature Christian who can actually hear you out, pray with you, and I guarantee you there'll be such healing. See, with repentance, it's not only just going, I know it's wrong, but now I need to confess it to someone. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you just help me get on the right track? That's what we need to do. The text tells us that when we repent, there is joy. There is a celebration. You know why? Because he's a forgiving God. Because if he wasn't a forgiving God, he wouldn't be rejoicing. You know, I've got to be careful because my, my sons are in the, in the auditorium now because I've got to be careful how I use illustrations now because they're all here now, right? But, you know, sometimes, you know, like, you know, as a father, you know, some of the dads and parents, you might relate to me. You know, sometimes when your kids uh, do something wrong, right, do something wrong and they kind of, you know, repent or they kind of tell you sorry, you're like, that's right. I'm glad that you got that right. You know, hope you don't do that again. You know how that attitude is not really a loving attitude? Like, you're trying to make it even worse for them, right? You're trying to prove the point that you were right and they were wrong. You know, all the parents are laughing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? But we don't see that in God. He is celebrating. There's a joy. He's like, yeah, I'm in your corner. You've repented. You've confessed. I'm loving you. He's forgiving you. He's a forgiving God. And that's what we see right here. And I want to encourage you that if there's areas in your life that you need to repent, repent. Yeah? Share it and confess with another brother and sister and know that God is celebrating. Yeah? God, He forgives you. He loves you. He's not like this, cross. No, He is loving you. He's forgiving you. Let me finish off with this story here. There were two brothers who were convicted many years ago, stealing sheep, ironically sheep, right? And back in the day, back in the day, the punishment was that uh, you would be branded on your forehead the letter S and the letter T, S-T. And S-T stood for sheep thief, right? And they would brand, like you would leave the head this scar. Well, one of the brothers, so ashamed, unable to bear the stigma of walking around for the rest of his days with this ST, fled from country to country. People would ask him, hey, what's this ST? What's this ST on your head? And he would just avoid, and he would just move from country to country. And in bitterness, he died an old, grumpy man in a grave that is somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Anyhow, the other brother... But he repented. He realized what he did was wrong. And he said, look, I can't run away from the past. You know, I stole some sheep. But I'm going to stay in this town. And I'm going to do the best I can to work on my integrity and respectability. And he stayed there. Years passed and he kind of got into his life, got married, business. And one day, someone came and asked him, in his old age, Sir, 
the S on your forehead. What does that mean? Where did that come from? Can you tell me about that scar? And he said this. It all happened a while. I've forgotten the particulars. I've forgotten what happened. But I think the letter is the abbreviation for the word saint. Saint. Because he knew that God is a forgiving God. He knew that God forgave him. We're sinners, but we're all saints. You know why? Because he's forgiving us. And for some of you this morning, I want you to know the first message of this year is that God loves you. He's forgiven your sin. You're still holy. You're still precious. You're still pure. You're still a saint. He loves you. The heart of God is that he's a seeking God despite our disobedience. He's a rejoicing God in our deliverance and is a forgiving God, right, in our repentance. Know that you're forgiven. Know that he loves you a lot. Amen. And may this year you do something different for his glory, for the good of those around you. And may you and I grow closer and closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your heart, a wonderful heart. We are so grateful that we have a God like you, someone who loves us more than we can even imagine, that you would seek us, that you would pursue us, despite our sinfulness, despite our disobedience. Oh, we are so grateful for you. Lord, thank you so much that there is such joy in mission, joy in reaching people. Would you use us as a community to reach more people? Lord, we don't want to just come and go, but we want to be used by you to reach people. Thank you so much that uh, you forgive us. We are grateful for your forgiveness, for your kindness, for your grace, your mercy that endures forever. Thank you so much. Remind us of your forgiveness. Help us to live lives in humility and gratitude for what you have done. Lord, we also pray for this year that this will be a great year for our church family. Lord, that you will just grow us, that we'll be more like Jesus, that we'll reach more people, that we'll grow in communities, that we'll be disciples for your glory, because all glory belongs to you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.